He is a Denver native born of Denver natives. A former Denver chief deputy district attorney, he is now an active Colorado trial lawyer. Bright, independent, and full of fun, he has been part of the media for decades. This is The Craig Silverman Show. Oh, what a world, what a life, what a day. Saturday, September 10, 2022. It's football season, Broncos season. That's what it means if you're from Colorado, which I am. The Broncos are in my DNA. And Bronco great Steve Busick, number 58, before Von Miller. Steve Busick, who played with Randy Gratishar, Tom Jackson, Bob Swenson, and before that, with Ronnie Lott, Marcus Allen, USC, number one team in the world. Two Rose Bowls in a row. They won over Michigan, Ohio State. Stevie Busick, linebacker extraordinaire, my first guest, as we welcome football season. And then speaking of hard hitting, we have Jordan Hedberg from the Wet Mountain Tribune. Wow, what a paper. They are in the controversy in Custer County. Where's Custer County? Hey, Westcliff is the county seat. I've not been there, but I feel like I want to go after talking to Jordan, and you will find out why. We talk about Linda Stanley, Barry Morphew, and unbelievably, he tells us his connection to the Ramsey family of Jean Benet fame. Yes, he was living in Boulder back then. As well... Steve Busick talks about O.J. Simpson and a little Muhammad Ali, people he encountered when he was a big shot in SoCal, where he grew up, too. And then he was a star at USC. But now he's Denverite. He loves it here. We love having him here. And I kick off the interview asking about tackling people. And I'm not sure I ever did, but then I've thought about it. And oh, boy. We had a bully at Hill Middle School, and he was about 250 back before I ever thought about being that big. He was overweight, and he was rough, and I weighed about 120. And in our football games, he would overdo it, but then finally I had enough, and I grabbed his shirt, and I spun him around on that gravel blacktop, and I threw him to the ground. And then I ran because I could outrun him, but boy... That was a tackle by me, and he got scraped up, and for a week I avoided him, and then I heard that he was in the library, and I went in there, and I shook his hand and said, sorry about that. He kind of got away from me, and what could he do? I did not think he would start a fight in the library. When I played football, and I played a lot of it in lawyers league and intramural and college, I like playing quarterback. Ask anybody in the DA's office. I could sling it. And then I could catch, too, but I wasn't that fast. But I had good hands. But, my gosh, I never played linebacker like Stevie Busick. This is a great interview. This will get you psyched for Denver Broncos season. We all are. Let's go, Broncos. And listen to Jordan Hedberg after Stevie Busick because this guy's fascinating. And he was featured on Kyle Clark's fine broadcast with good reason. He's in the middle of this storm, and he goes against MAGA. I love that. 
Donald Trump's case against America is falling apart. America's case against Donald Trump is getting better. The Republicans have been like the dog that catches the car. With the Dobbs decision, people are turning against them with good reason. They are wrong, and Trump is as corrupt as they come. But we're talking football with Stevie Busick, not politics. Politics to come with Jordan Hedberg. This is quite an episode 113. Thanks for joining us. Enjoy. Gosh, it's hot in here. Did that toaster catch on fire? It wasn't that. You choked on that bite of burnt bagel. Why is everything all red? The heat is unbearable. Where am I? Excuse me, your dishonor. May I step in on behalf of my client? Mr. Silverman, proceed. Tell me one redeeming good thing your client did. He was a faithful listener to my radio show. Not good enough. He had decency and compassion for his family. He did end-of-life planning with Michael Bailey. The Michael Bailey? That is kind to your loved ones. That is smart and way too decent for this place. Your client can go. And what about me, your despicableness? Why should I? Michael Bailey is my lawyer, too. Go on, then. Get out of here. (laughs) Now, part of that was serious, and part of that was fictional. But you will die someday, and if you don't make a legal plan, the government will make one for you. Call my lawyer, Michael Bailey. His rates are reasonable, and he can meet with you and your spouse wherever you want, and on weekends and evenings. 720-394-6887 or online at mblaw LLC.com. Now back to the Fred Silverman Show. Hey, being a lawyer is a matter of judgment. You have to know the law, the facts, but good judgment is essential. If you don't understand how Donald Trump is culpable for the crimes committed in his name, then I question your judgment. I have the good judgment to question Donald Trump. If you want a lawyer like that, Instead of a knucklehead who believes in the MAGA propaganda, call Craig, 303-734-7156, 303-734-7156. I am Craig, Craig Silverman, a voice for victims. Good morning, Craig. Stevie Busick, how are you? Thanks for Good doing morning. my podcast. Hey, I appreciate you asking. Hey, I've got a problem that I need to get fixed, and you are the guy to talk to. I'm an old man now, but I'm (laughs) afflicted with football fever. I think I caught it as a little kid, not that I ever really played other than lawyer's league. It occurs to me as I was contemplating our interview that I don't know that I ever actually tackled anybody. I mean, that's a skill. I mean, how... Steve Busick, star linebacker, USC, Denver Broncos. He started working in Denver right when I did. He worked for the Denver Broncos in 1981. I went to work for the Denver DA's office. Now he's a big business owner and the most transparent guy in town. Tell everybody what you do for a living now. Well, Craig, uh, after my career was over, I was still, at the time, a young man at 30 years old and not sure what you want to do with the rest of your life, but uh, I had an opportunity to uh, uh, buy a company that was struggling. It was a window manufacturing company. This is back in uh, 1989, and um, been doing that ever since. I uh, kind of learned as I went along, and uh, 
like kind of the, the skills as far as my football knowledge and giving me a work ethic and setting goals, it definitely helps. But uh, again, it was um, uh, kind of a learn-as-you-go experience and been very fortunate to have uh, been going on 34 years now. 34 years at Denver Company. And the glass business is important for energy, right? Climate change, there's a lot to do with your company, right? Yeah, without a doubt. Uh, we, we manufacture double-pane windows. We're a wholesale manufacturer. We service the front range. we got an active customer base, about 300 clients. So, um, yeah, I mean, windows, uh, obviously, if you look at a billing, I think the first thing you'll notice, there's always windows. So it's something that's always needed. We also specialize in res- residential replacement windows, which, again, if a kid throws a ball through your window or, or an errant golf ball, um, as we've all done, um, you need to get your window fixed. So overall, it's been a good business. It's been challenging the last few years, obviously, with COVID, but uh, we're coming out of this in a good good place. And uh, overall, it's been a very uh very good business over the years. It occurs to me that football and the glass industry are kind of similar because both end with breakage. Am I right? I mean, <laughs> well, Craig, I never thought of that, but uh, I think you're right. Again, the one thing I uh, got out of football, and I started as a very young kid at nine years old and uh, went to close to 30 years old, so 21 years of my life, what it taught me was um, – being a team player, which goes along with business, obviously, be goal-oriented where you set goals and you try to do everything you can to reach those goals. And um, uh, working with people, I mean, it's uh, it goes hand-in-hand with sports, and I learned so much from sports, uh, again, starting at nine years old, that uh, it's really helped me through the rest of my life. What about USC? All of a sudden, it seems like really hard to get into school. Was it always that way? Is your success in business attributable to the University of Southern California? Well, there's no doubt that Southern California is a prestigious school. Uh, We found over the last few years that people will uh, do almost anything, even if it's illegal, to get into the school. But uh, SC has always been... um, a great university. I was very fortunate to get to spend my four years there. Had some great memories. Um, have two Rose Bowl rings, which I have in my office, and also have a national championship ring, which uh, in my four years there is pretty amazing. So I uh, got to play with some amazing, amazing uh, all-timers, uh, the guys like Ronnie Lott and Marcus Allen and Anthony Munoz and the Matthews brothers. Um, I mean, so how, how, right. could, how could you lose with a squad like that? Well, back in the day, and again, we're talking uh, the late 70s, we were kind of what Alabama is today. I mean, we were we were a powerhouse. Um, obviously, over the years, SC has kind of had some ups and downs. But uh, I'm really excited about what's going on there. Um, I'm still trying to get my mind around the fact that they're going to be in the Big Ten. Um, it just doesn't it doesn't sound normal when you say they're going to be in the Big Ten, but it'll be fun to watch. Uh, get to play the Ohio States and Michigans every year, and and um, it's going to be exciting. But again, I I'm still having a hard time uh, recognizing them being in the Big Ten. Well, it's a new era, but when it comes down to basics and football, and I turn to you because. <laughs> 
you've tackled a lot of people. And I played football, lawyers league football. You know, I like to play quarterback. Occasionally, I'd be a receiver. I'd try to cover people on defense. But again, I never actually tackled anybody. So when I think of football and the essence of football, I think about a linebacker. One of the best athletes I knew at GW was Eric Woody. You probably met him. He played yeah, linebacker at sure. CSU. And I thought, this is the position for the best athletes, the toughest, the roughest. I've seen you in your playing days. What were you, 6'4", 230? Or how do you, is that about right? Yeah, I, I, I'm 6'4". Um, uh, I'd start the season around 235, 240. And by the end of the year, just the beat down and the, the long season, I'd be about 215 to 220. But uh, back in the day, again, we're talking many years ago, uh, now I would be considered a small tight end. But uh, the game has definitely changed over the years. Um, they're bigger, faster. And so um, What about that position linebacker? I mean, when you talk to people, they say, well, I played football in high school or college. If somebody says, I played linebacker, I look at them a little different. Do you? Well, uh, I again, maybe I'm biased, but uh, linebacker uh, is uh, kind of a high collision uh, uh, position. Um, you are definitely running into things almost every play, especially back in the day when uh, there was a lot more run run offense than there is today. But uh, you, uh, I always say, my gift uh, starting at nine years old, I wasn't afraid to run through a wall. I don't know if that's a gift or just not being that smart, but uh, uh, that that's makes what you a linebacker, <laughs> right? Yeah, and but again, all football. I mean, I don't care what position you play, uh, you are going to be uh, having full contact. And um, I don't know if people get a chance ever to get kind of on a sideline, whether it be college and or pro. It's amazing the speed and the collisions. You, you don't really get that from up in the stands or obviously on TV, but uh, it's it's a uh, it's a game that uh, takes a toll on your body. I mean, I've paid the price uh, uh, later in life. I've been fortunate to uh, uh, not have too many issues, but again, you don't get out. Uh, no one gets out without having issues physically after so many years of football. You know, back in the day, I imagine going to the forum and watching the Christians and the Lions, right? I mean, <laughs> it's like, uh, but I would feel guilty and really my football fever, and I'm getting psyched for this Monday night football game. I'm going to write about it for the Colorado Sun. I'm talking to you. It infects me, and I know it came through my father, who just loved football. He coached football. He played at West High, and... uh I, I, I just, every year my dad and I would watch, but then we'd see guys carted off and linebackers delivering vicious hits, and we'd say, gosh, is this right? Or is it appropriate to have this kind of blood sport? Do you ever think like that, or how do you feel about that? Well, again, um, I wouldn't trade it for the world. I've, again, I've had both shoulders reconstructed and knee replaced. I've got back and neck issues. And obviously, that's from uh, 21 years of my life running into things. So there's no question uh, it's going to take your toll. But I wouldn't change it for the world. Again, what I got out of sports, especially football, and uh, being team-oriented and 
um, goal-oriented and, you know, always right. striving to do the best you can, I got them from sports. And I was never one of the best students in the world, uh, but uh, it gave me a life that I, I dreamt about and, and sports-wise uh, met a lot of my dreams as a kid, you know, obviously wanted to play college and then you have this dream of maybe someday being the professional level. So feel very, very fortunate, very blessed. I was able to achieve those things. And yes, I had paid a price and the older you get, the more you feel the damage you did when you were young. Um, but again, I wouldn't trade it for the world. It's, uh, uh something that uh, made my life what it is today and what I got out of organized sports and especially the football, um, I'm changing for the world. Yeah, you got those Rose Bowl rings. I mean, that's something. Who did you guys beat to win that? And what was your best play in those games? Well, actually, the the two Rose Bowls we won, um, we beat Michigan uh, in uh, 78, and then we beat uh, Ohio State in 79, won our uh, national champions in 78. And, uh, again, we were just a loaded team. I'll never forget John Robinson, who was the head coach of USC. And, and back then, this is the uh, 1976 when I was getting recruited out of high school, they were a powerhouse. And I remember John, I'll never forget this, John Robinson sat in the living room of, of, our, of, of our house, and I'm an 18-year-old kid sitting there, and John Robinson sitting on your couch uh, trying to sell USC, and uh, he had a couple rings on. He goes uh, to my parents, he goes, this is um, a Rose Bowl ring. I promise you um, that your son will have one of these in the next four years. Then he had a national championship ring on. He goes, I'm also going to say, I can't promise this, but there's a very good chance you'll have one of these as well. Well, after four years, I have two Rose Bowl rings and a national championship ring, which is – Amazing. I mean, uh, so anyway, uh, SC, and I'm so excited to see SC, um, what the, the coaches' changes they've made, and I, I think they're going to be relevant again here very soon. So yeah, but what about, what about us Colorado guys? You're leaving us like the <laughs> sisters of the poor. Just go play Wyoming, or you guys play among yourself. You're not, you're not worthy of L.A. <laughs> By the way, you're an L.A. kid. That must have been really something to have John Robinson in your house. And let's talk about your parents a little. Did they support your career? And uh, is that where you got your love of football, trying to impress Dad? Well, my dad was um, uh, ex, not ex because you're always a military person, but he was a Marine. And uh, probably the one of the toughest uh, people mentally and physically I've ever known in my life. He's, he's uh, passed away. But obviously, I got a lot of traits from that upbringing. I remember as a kid, not really liking a lot of things that uh, we were doing as far as I had crew cuts uh, until I was about 13. And uh, growing up in Southern California in the late 60s, early 70s, that was uh, not very cool back then. But looking back, um, I learned and got so much from my father's dedication and his toughness and being military and again, that was a trait that was instilled in me as well. The only other toughest person I know besides my father was my mother. <laughs> she is a very, very tough woman. She's still with us today. Um, she is amazing, amazing woman. I have four brothers. Uh, there was five boys in our family, no, no sisters. 
And for my mom to raise five boys the way she did, um, I, <laughs> I uh, did she like did she like you playing football? Not really. My mother uh, would go to the games, but uh, she's told me she'd have her eyes closed half the time and always making sure I got up off the ground. So um, again, she uh, one of the toughest ladies I ever have known, and. Um, Again, it was uh, a big, obviously, a big part of having parents the way my parents were instilled some, you know, toughness and and great qualities that I hopefully got for them. I can't even remember. Were those games against Michigan and Ohio State even close? Yeah, they were pretty good games. I mean, uh, back then, uh, I think you remember it was student body right, student body left. I think we threw the ball maybe 10 times a game. Again, it was a different era back then. The funny part about the national championship here, this is before, um, this is when the UP uh, voted and I think the coaches polled. So there's basically two two organizations that would... AP and UPI. That's why Colorado had that split championship. Right, exactly. So we had the same thing and we, we split with Alabama back then. So we were national championships, but we national champions, but we split it with uh, Alabama. The one thing about that, which I'll never understand, um, we actually beat Alabama that year in Alabama, and we still split the national championships. So you that must, was, you uh, must have lost to somebody along the way then. Yeah, we lo- actually we lost to Arizona State, who had just got into the Pac-10 at the time, or actually Pac-12, I believe. Um, so that was our our one loss and it uh, uh but so we were able to still have a national championship but um uh, the one we split it with was alabama who we actually beat that year all right he's a little older than you are but you can't talk about usc without talking about oj simpson <laughs> did you meet well, him do you know him yes yes i did meet oj simpson uh, back again when they were doing recruiting for usc they would at the time I think there was 47 active NFL players in the NFL. And I remember this again, being recruited the next team college team had uh, 25 and that was Notre Dame. So USC again was kind of like the Alabama today, just loaded with talent. Well, they'd have a little luncheon thing and you'd get to meet some of the old players and it happened to be that time was OJ Simpson was there. I remember Lynn Swan, people that you just idolized. And this is when OJ was, you know, he was everyone's idol and hero back in the day when he was, you know, one of the best football players ever and getting into movies and that type of thing. Obviously things have changed over that over the years, but yes, I think to meet OJ um, back in the day. And uh, did you talk to him? Do you remember conversations? Would he he be in the locker room after winning Rose Bowls and stuff like that? Yeah, you'd see him. But again, uh, I never had a one-on-one conversation with him. It was always in passing and shaking your hand. And obviously, a a guy at at that stature back in the day, um, you know, there was a thousand people that wanted to talk and shake his hand. Um, I can make a – yeah, go ahead. (laughs) So I got one interesting story that uh, I think a lot of people might like. So my freshman year, we would stay at the Wilshire downtown L.A. before home games. And uh, we'd be uh, getting there Friday night, and then then Saturday morning we'd have breakfast and then get ready to go to the stadium. 
Well, after breakfast, for some reason, I can't remember what it was, but I got out early and I was uh, going up to get my stuff to get on the bus, standing at the elevator, and um, the elevator door opens, and it's just me standing there. Within three feet of my face, there stood Muhammad Ali, (laughs) who was my idol back in the day. I thought he was the most amazing athlete ever. And I was just absolutely starstruck. And again, for about five seconds, he was standing right in front of me. And he could tell, obviously, that I was uh, in shock. My mouth just dropped open. I couldn't know what to say. And he puts up his fist, and he, I'll never forget this. He goes, what are you looking at, sucker? And then he reached his hand out to shake my hand. Uh, he walked out of the elevator with an entourage of about four people behind him. Um, and then all of a sudden people saw him and there was about 30 people within another 15 seconds. But for five seconds of my life, I had a one-on-one with Muhammad Ali in front of my face when I was an 18-year-old kid. Oh I'll my never God. forget it. Let, let me picture it. this because you are a physical <laughs> specimen, 6'4", 235, because this is like the start of the season. Muhammad Ali, if I recall correctly, was about 6'3". 225, the elevator opens, and instead of him seeing some shrimp of a guy, he sees a strapping young man, and all of a sudden he looks at you, and he puts his fists up like, hey, let's do it, and then he shakes your hand. Oh, my God. Yes, yes Craig, that's uh, something I, uh, I'll never forget, and um, it's giving me chills right now thinking about it because, again, growing up, uh, he was uh, um, my idol. Um as far as um, sports, and to have that five-second moment, uh, I'll never forget it, and it's a story I'll, I tell my kids and uh, will always uh, remember. Wow. Sounds like you were a little <laughs> starstruck. Has anybody else done that to you in the sports world, celebrity world, where oh, you said, oh, my God, I can't believe I'm meeting you? <laughs> well, there's a guy named Craig Silverman out no, here somewhere. Bullshit, that, yeah. uh, <laughs> We've had a chance to play golf a few times, but no, um, I actually got a, a phone call. Um, and again, a, a person that was kind of my idol, and this is a football, um, Jack Lambert. Um, he was he was uh, another fifty-eight, wasn't he? Fifty-eight, and that's kind and of so why are I you. was fifty-eight. Yeah, yeah well, I was also born in fifty-eight. Um, but anyway, and he was uh, at the time kind of this similar as far as makeup of a linebacker back you know in the old days the dick buckuses were more thick and brawny um jack lambert was actually a tall thinner guy um but he so would he, he would him. run through walls just yes, like you exactly exactly so obviously i never got to his level but as far as someone i tried to emulate and who i thought was amazing um, he was it. And I also obviously had the fortune to play with a guy, uh, which we all know in Denver, Randy Gratishar, who, again, I, um, just cannot say enough great things about what a great player, what a great person he was. It's a shame he's not in the hall of fame. I think it's a crime that, uh, he is not in the hall of fame and hopefully that changes here in the next year or two. But, um, just an amazing guy, amazing mentor to me, and um, again, I mean, what a linebacking like crew you guys had, right? Wasn't Tom oh, Jackson yeah. there? Tom Did- Jackson, uh, Bob Swenson, um, 
obviously Randy Grosser, Jim Ryan. Um, we, we were some great guys. I was very, very fortunate. I came in in 1981. So the, the um, Orange Crush was still the Orange Crush. Um, Steve Foley, Louis Wright, Barney Chavis, Ruben Carter, just uh, you can go on and on about uh, just the phenomenal football players, but just great guys. I was very, very fortunate to get drafted by the Broncos and uh, get to spend five years with them. And to this day, I see uh, Bob Swenson, I'll see Steve Foley, um, and um, just great guys. And uh, very, very fortunate to get be a part of that. Now, that's almost a great transition, O.J. Simpson, to talking about Broncos, <laughs> right? Broncos. And, uh, but, but I'm a Denver guy. You grew up in L.A. It's such a big city. And uh, now they have the Rams. They had a Super Bowl championship. They got beat last night. But is Denver different when it comes to the Broncos than other places? You, you played for the Rams. You played for the Chargers. But the bulk of your career with the Broncos – I'm kind of a homer, but to me, the Broncos are Colorado, unlike, I don't think the Rams are California. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I know exactly what you're saying, Craig. I mean, uh, I did get uh, play after um, my stand in Denver uh, with the Rams and the Chargers, and um, but I can almost positively say that Denver is the best football town that there is in the NFL. And again, maybe I'm a little biased, but I did get to play some other places. But I've also known guys that uh, uh, Denver is just, um, I mean, they're fanatic about football. And that's been going on for many, many, many years, way before I came in in 1981. And I'll never forget coming out here. Um, we didn't have the Rockies back then. Uh, we didn't have the Avalanche. It was the Nuggets and uh, you know the Broncos. And Broncos far and away were, I couldn't believe it, come from a big city like L.A. where, you know, football's football, but there's so many other things going on that people aren't fanatical. Um, came to Denver, and it was just a whole other world. And it was a, a great, great experience. And it's still to this day. And that's why I'm so excited for the season to start. I mean, I'm excited of the changes we've made and the direction they're going. I can't wait till that Monday night game this week to see uh, everything, how everything's going to go. That's what I wanted to get to, because I get a little bit of a football fever, but it's got to be in your DNA, not just as a Broncos fan, which you are confessing on the air here, but your body must think, oh, it's, I feel the fall air, I, I, or even when <laughs> summer camp time. Do you go into those rhythms thinking back, your body does that to you? You know, I did, uh, Craig, after uh, retiring after first probably five years after football, I'll have recurring dreams that I was getting ready to go to camp, and there was no doubt it was in your DNA. And um, as I've gotten older and um, life goes on, uh, it feels like another lifetime ago. Um, again, I look back, and it's uh, – you know, some great, great memories, but it's, again, it feels like another lifetime ago, but, uh, so now do still, you think it's, it's totally, you're a fan like me. You can't wait to see how this latest drama will play out because the Broncos, to me, it's the most compelling TV drama year after year. You don't know what's going to happen. It could go this way, that way. And that's yeah. the beauty of football. 
No, I'm definitely excited for this season to start. And again, uh, unfortunately, we've had some rough years. Uh, and, um, you know, you can blame not maybe having the right quarterback or what have you. But uh, made some huge changes all, I think, for the good. And I, I can't be more excited. Um, I'm a little bit hesitant to get too out there as far as hope what we're going to do. Because, again, when you change the entire coaching staff, um, that usually takes some time. And I'm very excited and very impressed with the new coaching staff and what they're doing. But until you actually put it on the field, we, we don't know. We're going to find out pretty soon. But I think it's all going the right direction. And, again, it takes time to uh, get a coaching staff and, and be everyone on the same page. And uh, we'll see. But uh, uh, the, the exciting part is, is we're talking about it. It's relevant. Like I said, we've had some rough years. And I think to a person, everyone is so excited, which they should be, because we're – made so many changes and all the changes to me look like the right moves. So right. we're going to find out here pretty soon, but uh, uh, even if they stumble at the getting out of the gate, you never know. But uh, again, um, I'm very excited for this season but, to but, get going. Right. And Nathaniel Hackett, let's take him one by one. I mean, we have a brand new coach. Do you think it's better to have an offensive minded coach like Hackett? And he's an upbeat guy. You know, bubbly personality. No question. Um, real quick about him. I've never met him, but his father, um, Coach Hackett, was a quarterback coach at USC back when I was playing. So uh, I don't know if Nathaniel was even born then. This is going back to 1977. <laughs> but uh, his dad was, uh, uh, like I said, a quarterback coach at USC and went on to have a heck of a a pro career and college career. So um, there's a connection there a little bit. If I ever get a chance to meet him, I'll rave about how his dad was such a great coach back when I was a kid. But um, uh, I think. And was he an upbeat guy like Nathaniel or did they have different personalities? Uh, you know, I don't remember him being that upbeat. Um, I remember him being a very uh, student of the game. And again, uh, he, he went on to have a heck of a career. So he knew football, obviously, inside and out. I don't remember the all the energy that uh, Nathaniel's coming out with, but um, I, again, I, I love that about him, and I think he's he's uh, going to be a hell of a coach here who, in Denver. Who, who was your best coach? Um, I was very fortunate, again, to get to play uh, for Dan Reeves. Um, really sorry to hear his passing here uh last year um he was an amazing coach uh john robinson again um dan reeves was a coach that knew football inside and out john robinson was more of a delegator recruiter um so those two stand out the most and um uh you know i'm very again very fortunate to be a say i was coached by two great and, coaches and, and, great and when you played for the broncos i'm trying to get the year straight was that Edgar Kaiser, and then he sold it to Bolin in the early yes. 80s? Yes. Um, Edgar Kaiser actually in 81 had just bought the team. They, uh, my rookie year, 81, was Dan Reed's first draft. So I was part of his first draft, and we came in. So Dan Reed's first year as a head coach was my first year as a rookie. So um, got to grow with Dan for five years. I was in Denver, then I got traded to the Rams in 86. But um, Edgar Kaiser had 
just bought the team. And then uh, I believe three to four years later, um, Pat Bowling came in and uh, purchased the team from Edgar, Edgar Kaiser. So I did get to play under uh, Pat Bowling for a year. Um, but my four years in Denver was mo- mostly Edgar Kaiser. Interesting. Yeah, I remember the Phipps brothers. They were construction guys. And then Lamar Hunt, who helped start the AFL, he was an oil guy. I'm thinking it's kind of like the Live Tour, except with American oil guys <laughs> instead of Saudi oil. And I'm rooting for the AFL. I still do. I rooted for the Bills last night. Uh, did you watch that game? Yeah, I did. Um, uh, How about that number 58, former Bronco? Uh, now he's wearing 40, Bon Miller. He he had a heck of a game, didn't he? Yeah, he's an all-time great. I mean, he's uh, again, he's one of the guys that uh, he'll be in the Hall of Fame when he's eligible. And, uh, yeah, he's one of these guys that uh, he uh, just, uh, just uh, I call him a freak, an uh, athletic freak of nature, um, can do things. And uh, he's not a young buck anymore, and he's still – moving like he did when he was a rookie. So, um, Well, that one uh, play, he, he sort of sets people up, right? But I couldn't believe the way he pushed that big tackle back. Was it all leverage, speed, strength, everything? I mean, he pushed the guy right back into the quarterback. Yeah. Well, one thing he, Vaughn has every everything you, you would hope for, in that, especially at that position, and then some. So, again, he's a freak in nature. He's a just a phenomenal, not – just a phenomenal football player, just a phenomenal athlete. And his way he can contort his body, come around the corner, and then when he needs to, like you said, he can get under a 320-pound tackle and push him in back in the quarterback. So he's got all the gifts, and obviously uh, he's used them over the years, and uh, uh, doesn't they don't get too much better than Von Miller. What was more your strength? Uh, your strength or your speed, or both? Well, again, I, I, I had a little bit of each. I uh, wasn't the strongest, but I had decent strength, and I wasn't the fastest, but I had um, f- you know, fairly good speed for my size. Um, again, um, I, I, they call it a nose for the football. Ever since I was a kid, I just had a knack to be able to get to the football. Um, uh, When's the last time you tackled somebody? <laughs> well, believe it or not... Um, at my age, 63, I'll be 64 in December, I have a four-year-old son. So he is already learning or wanting to tackle. So him and I in our basement will have little, obviously, <laughs> he's tackling dad. And uh, I'll sometimes tackle him, obviously, in a soft way. But <laughs> Are you going to so, let yeah, him? I'm, is he going to play football? Is he going to go to USC? Is he going to be a Bronco? You know, Craig, I'm, I always get asked this question. And... Um, I'm not pushing him towards football. I won't deny it from him. I know what it did for my life. Um, but I have to say what we do know now about the concussions and the head trauma, I'm, I won't miss it at all if he doesn't play. I mean, I'd love to see him take up golf or baseball or whatever. Um, but again, if he's, uh, Wanting to play football, and it's going to be his choice, and that's all he wants. I will not stop it, but I will say I'm not going to actually encourage it, to be honest with you. Is he a Bronco fan already? I'm trying to think. I was born before you, so I'm a little older, and I can't remember Frank Trapuca, but I'm pretty sure I was on my dad's lap if it was televised or <laughs> around him trying to tackle him. 
Does your son watch football? Is he into it now? Yeah, he, he likes pretty much all sports, um, which is great. I'm going to uh, expose him to everything. And then you never know what a kid will gravitate towards. I remember, like you're saying, when I was a kid, I uh, played baseball, basketball, football. Um, and my favorite sport, actually, when I was a very young kid, was basketball. I remember my dad would put up a hoop on our garage and a light, and I'd be out there at 10 o'clock every night shooting baskets. But if came very clear at a very early age that uh, if I was going to go anywhere in sports, it wasn't going to be basketball, basketball, it was going to be football. So, um, but as a very young kid, my favorite sport was basketball and that changed obviously when I got into high school and started uh, excelling at, at football. But um, I think it's important to have kids play if, if they want, play, expose them to everything. And what they gravitate towards, they'll, they'll show you. So right. trying to pigeonhole a kid into something I'm, I'm not a believer in. Uh, again, I, at my age, I like to play golf still. I'm not very good, but I like to do it. I'd love to see him take up golf. <laughs> but again, it's going to be up to him. And I, anything I can expose him to in sports, I'm going to and see where he gravitates towards. Well, that's the right attitude. Now the Broncos all of a sudden have ownership that's three times richer than the next richest NFL owner? Did you ever think you would see a day like that? <laughs> and what does that mean? Well, it's great great for uh, the Broncos and being a Bronco fan. Obviously, um, they're not going to be afraid to spend money. I think they've obviously already showed that. So I'm very, very excited about this new ownership, um, the people that they have. It seems like uh, it's going to be an, a, a first-class operation, and they're all about winning. And that um, is all you can ask for as a fan. And, um, again, I can't be more excited in the new coaching staff and the ownership. Obviously, Russell Wilson coming there on. There you go. Exhibit um, one and their ability to spend money. Is he the yep. real deal, Russell Wilson? Well, the proof is in the pudding, and he showed it for, I think, the last 10 years. I mean, the guy has uh, always been, I think, one of the top five quarterbacks. And um, his leadership skills are second to none. And, um, yeah, I think he is definitely the real deal. I think he's going to have a heck of a career, and I can't be more excited. I mean, that's one thing we've probably been lacking. Uh, obviously, the last few, few years that we haven't been in the playoffs, and it's such a quarterback-driven league. You have to have a quarterback. And I think we got our guy for years to come. And you would know about that, right? Elway came well, in uh, right after you or when? Actually, I got to play uh, three years with John. I, I, he came in in 83. I came in in 81. And I get, played against John in college as well. He was at Stanford. Obviously, I was at USC. But, yeah, I mean, that was uh, what made us, I mean, having John Elway as your quarterback, obviously he was young and had some um, growing pains. I mean, he wasn't, uh, uh, you know, what he was towards the end of his career, but he was still, he was a fantastic quarterback. And we had a lot of success. My three years with John, I think we went 13-3 uh, one year, 11-5, and five, and 10-6. and six. So, we were in the playoffs, and uh, he was just kind of starting his career. And uh, obviously, uh, we all know what he's done, what he did right. here in Denver. What a winner you are. Look at those records, the teams you are on. Now, Russell Wilson, 
Don't you think he's elevated right away to being one of the top two or three people in Colorado? That's just how big being quarterback of the Denver Broncos is. Am I right? Well, I, I would have to say number one in sports. There's no doubt about it. I mean, as we talked about, uh, Denver is a Bronco town. It always will be, I think. It always has been. And you got the uh, one of the top quarterbacks in the game. Um, yeah, I think uh, he is the man in Denver. And, uh, again, the way he handles himself, and uh, I, I don't think you could ask for a better person representing your team. And do you think Denver has become the destination for star players? They saw the way Peyton Manning was treated and now Russell Wilson. Is this a trend, especially with ownership having the money? I think there's no doubt about it. Uh, but again, you have to win. And I think everything's lined up for us to go that direction. But the bottom line, you, you got to win. But having all the things we're just talking about, the best Ownership, I think, is going to be in football, the best coaching staff, and top players in a great city. I mean, who wouldn't want to play in Denver? Um, But the bottom line is, and it always will be, you got to win. So we're going to be finding out here pretty, pretty soon. You are so cool to spend your valuable time. You could be a selling class, and I'm sure you will as soon as we (laughs) hang up. But what does it mean to be a Bronco? As you walk around town, is it a self-pride? And when people meet you, do they do their eyes light up? It's got to be really <laughs> something to be a Denver Bronco in Denver, Colorado. Well, again, um, I meet people, and they got to be kind of old because uh, obviously it was many, many years ago, a lifetime ago. Uh, but, yeah, there's still people that, uh, especially – in our age, Craig, that uh, remember those years. And, uh, yeah, I'll get people to come up and, you know, say they got to watch me. And the uh, first thing I go, you gotta be, you got to be really old to remember those things. But anyway, uh, Denver's such a great place. I've made it my home. Still have a lot of family in L.A., but Denver's been my home for the last 30 years. And um, could be a, a better place uh, to raise your kids and Uh, wouldn't change it for the world. Steve, we're so glad you're part of the community. Let's get out there and play some golf. I've been so darn busy, but the pandemic's over, and uh, I want to hear more stories about your boy, okay? Hey, Craig, you bet. I I would love to get together with you. We have a mutual friend where we won't say who it is, but uh, we'll have to get out here in the near future. And uh, really appreciate uh, having having me on in your show. And I look forward to seeing you in the near future, buddy. I really appreciate you coming on because you are a winner. And the way you treat my hometown of Denver and the way you've adopted it and Denver's adopted you back, that's the essence of being a Bronco. It's a community thing. And and I think people in Denver just love to have guys like you discover our city and make it your home because we're proud of it here. There's no question about it, and that's why there's so many, as we all know, there's a lot of guys that have made this their home, um, coming from all parts of the nation. But uh, once you're in Denver, it's hard to leave. (laughs) Right. Peyton Manning, I think, is raising his family here, Russell Wilson, and they've got little kids like you. Stevie, thanks so much, and go Broncos. Go Broncos, Craig, and great talking with you, and uh, look forward to seeing you soon, buddy. Take care. Okay, bye now. Bye-bye. 
Now, during the pandemic and otherwise, a lot of people have so much affection for their pets. That must come up all the time. What's going to happen to Scruffy? What can you tell us about that, Michael Bailey? What you can do is create a pet trust in Colorado. You put money into trust, and then that money is available and earmarked to care for the dog. And it can last the lifetime of the dog or 21 years, whichever is shorter. And then when the time frame for the trust is up, you can dictate who gets whatever leftover money or I have several clients who will leave it to some sort of animal shelter or animal rescue to be able to care for other animals. How cool is that? You can go to Mike Bailey's office and he has offices all over and you could meet at your home, whatever. I love the way you practice law. You've kept it going for a long time. Tell everybody how they can make you their lawyer. So my phone number is 720-394-6887. And again, that's 720-394-6887. They can call me or they can go online to mobileestateplanning.com. And there's a link there where you can schedule an appointment with me. Okay, here's the thing. You've been hurt. Maybe, God forbid, someone's been killed. You don't know what to do. If it happened in Colorado, please get a hold of me. Check out my website, craigscoloradolaw.com. craigscoloradolaw.com because I have four decades of experience. Sadly, I've helped a lot of people who have been hurt terribly through no fault of their own. 303-734-7156. Please call Craig. Craig Silverman, a voice for victims. 303-734-7156. Hello. Gosh, you are fast responding on Twitter and you pick up the phone so quickly. This is Craig. Yeah. Hey, oh. how are you? <laughs> Not bad. How long have you had that fast twitch muscle? Uh, only when the phone's right in my hands. <laughs> like all the time? No, this is good. Wonderful. Hey, it's good to communicate with you. I'd like to do a Larry King-like podcast with you right now, if that's okay. okay. You can do whatever you want, Larry. Because <laughs> I'm not that well prepared. Here's what I know about you. You live in a, a part of Colorado where I have never been, but I'd like to go. And then you report on local events, what's it called, yep. the Wet Mountain News? And you've the broken, Wet Mountain Tribune. Wet, Wet Mountain Tribune. And tell everybody about that. What is the Wet Mountain Tribune? Well, we've been a, we're a newspaper that's been around since 1883 in Custer County, Colorado. So we're in our 139th year of operation. Yeah. And what sustains the good people of Castro County? Well, all we do is local. I mean, all we do is local news. We just, I know, uh, but what do the people do? Not everybody can work for the Wet Mountain Tribune. Uh, that's a good point. Um, I, we're mostly a retirement community. Uh, we're the second oldest by average age um, county in the United States. What is the county seat of Custer County? Westcliff, Colorado. It's really the only town. There's technically two towns, but they're both right next to each other for 
some old historical differences. <laughs> and, uh, but if you were driving through both of them, you couldn't tell the difference between the two. Now, how common is that, that a fourth-generation Coloradan has never been New York Fair City? And I dare say my parents never went either, and I'm almost positive my grandparents never saw your community. Tell us about West yeah, Cliff. Why? A, is it isolated? End. It's a dead end? It's a it's a dead end. Um, Highway 96 that runs across most of the country literally dead dead ends in Westcliff. Uh, there's these uh, beautiful mountains, the Santa de Cristo uh, mountain range, but they're so big they're kind of like the Tetons. Um, they used to be called the Tetons of Colorado back in the day, and they're so thick and tall you can't really plow a road through them. So until recently, Custer County was literally on the way to nowhere. So that's why most people have never been here. Now I am definitely going because I'm not very well traveled. But the first time I saw the Tetons not that long ago, I was awestruck. I said, the Tetons, (laughs) my boys, we were going to Yellowstone and, and they got mad at me. They thought it was weird for Every time I said Tetons, look at that, look at that, the Tetons. They're insane. Yeah, they're insane. The Tetons are some of the most amazing mountains. And I will say that the Santa de Cristos are the most beautiful mountain range by far in Colorado. See, right there, it's kind of scary for a Jewish guy like me. The blood of Christ, (laughs) isn't that it? It's not great. No, that's exactly what it is. So it was, uh, no, you you know your history very well, which is, uh, it was the... Spanish conquistadors that um, first named it because of the way our sunrises and sunsets hit. A lot of times they get this sort of purple reddish glow to them at that time, and so that's what they named them. Wow! How many people live in West Cliff? We're about five thousand year round officially, which is sort of a record. And is the temperature more like Denver, Colorado Springs, Salida? No, Pueblo? we're more. We're more. We're more like um, Summit County, so, Ooh. you know, Breckenridge, Frisco. Oh. What's the altitude? Uh, 7,500 oh. in the town of Westcliff. Okay. Yeah. So, that's so it's something sh- small. And when I say 5,000, I mean the whole county. Um, the whole county is 5,000 year-round. There's maybe 300 people in Westcliff and maybe 500 in Silvercliff. In our back and forth, and I love Twitter for that feature, I've heard, I've, I asked if you played golf, but I have heard about good golf in Westcliff. And if you're looking at the Tetons or something like it, it's got to be pretty spectacular. Are there great resorts there? Golf, fishing, nope. horseback riding? There used to be a, uh, a golf course called St. Andrews. And um, it was fun. It was nine holes. Uh, and it was fun to go play. Mostly because uh, there was a high probability your golf ball would land in a cow patty at some point. So it did add another element to the game. Oh, that's not fun. I don't even think it's <laughs> funny if you have a good score going, stuff like that. Well, but if you're not good at golf like the rest of us, we found it hilarious. So, <laughs> See, I'm too competitive. Maybe you should yeah. take it up. I was with Governor oh. Bill Ritter. I like dropping names. And he came to me, Craig, Craig. I broke 50 on nine holes in City Park, and it's like, wow. 
because he never played golf before, and I played it on my lip, and I said, don't you understand it's better than fishing now? And he said, no, no. He wouldn't go that far, but he was excited about improving at golf, and that's what life is about. How old of a guy are you, Jordan? I'm only 35. Tell us about where you grew up. Here in Custer County. I mean, I went to high school, graduated here in 05. Custer uh, County, Ohio? Is that the name of it? Yep. The Custer County Bobcats. Holy cow. Class of? 2005. And then what? Uh, I went to a liberal arts school in the middle of a cornfield in Illinois. What's it called? Monmouth Monmouth College. Mm -hmm. And uh, then moved to Denver. Mm-hmm. After that, and lived up in Wheat Ridge, uh, you know, kind of, uh, what do you call it now, the Denver Highlands area. But I wanted to ranch, so I moved back to Westcliff and lived in a 29-foot trailer that was unheated at my parents' barnyard, so I could try to figure out how to farm. <laughs> and did you? Yeah, we still raise cattle, so uh, I haven't mentioned Alyssa uh but Alyssa is a co-owner in the Tribune, and um, she plays golf. It's been a while, but she would kick my behind any day. Now, is Alyssa, Alyssa is your wife, your employee? What? We're not married, but we've been together for seven years, so I'll say. And, and does she have a last name? Does she have a byline, or does she just go by Meyer. Alyssa, Alyssa yeah, Meyer? Alyssa Meyer. And yep. she is a reporter at this nepotism uh, White Mountain <laughs> Tribune you got going. How many employees in total? Uh, so she's the bookkeeper slash layout uh, person because we all wear a lot of hats. Now wait, I'm but... not I'm not hearing right. Okay, so what's spell that name again for Meyer? Uh, yeah, it's uh, Alyssa A Y L S S A A Y. A L Y S S A A L Y S S A M E I E R. Okay, is that your? Is that a he? Is she? You never. Well, I never know these days. Well, you do have to ask. Right. Okay. So, so you have. But we met a we met an organic farm near Pueblo. How long ago? When I was, it's been seven years. And so was how long have you owned the paper? Four years. And was she in on it from the start? Is this a joint venture? Or do you are yes. you her boss? So we, <laughs> she's uh no, it's much it's much more a joint venture for sure. Well somebody has so to be the editor. The... Who who decides what gets published? So I do a lot of that, but um she does a lot of the ad layout and you know, when we go to print, we talk about these things a lot. You know, should we put this on page one? What about, what do we fill in here? So How it's a very often back and do you forth. go to print? Uh, every Thursday. Nice. What time? Mm-hmm. Well, technically we go to print Tuesdays at four, but it comes out on Thursdays. Oh, so did you already put your uh, publication yep. to bed? It's perfect timing. I know that feeling because I put out a podcast on Saturday mornings, mm-hmm. and I have to have content with interesting stories, like the Jordan Hedberg story. Back to you. <laughs> yeah. So you're a farmer, you're a rancher, and you're a newspaper publisher. Mm-hmm. And you write columns. 
Yeah, so I don't write as much as I used to, but I do write sort of our, I wouldn't call it an opinion page, but it's sort of my, I reserve it as my sort of publisher's page. But when you Uh, write, you write beautifully. And you caught my attention with your stories about Linda Stanley. Tell everybody about that. Yeah, so part of that was, as I did work as a paralegal here for three or four years for the county judge at the time. Um, and he is now a district judge up in Arapahoe County, whatever What's judicial district that is. Peter Michelson. Nice. And he was a DA up in um, Summit in Eagle Counties right before the Kobe Bryant case. I think I remember that, yes. Yeah, and so he, um, I worked for him for a few years, three or four years as a paralegal, so you know, I did get some experience on that side. Very um, well-respected judge, Pete Michelson. Yes, and DA. Yeah, yeah. Keep going. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, when Linda Stanley came to the front, uh, it was clear that she already had a censure against her from the Colorado Supreme Court. Essentially, for she took on a private client, then took a job with the Treasury Department in Denver, and then ne- never notified the client that she had taken another job. And he started pestering her, saying, where's my case at? And her response was, you owe me money. <laughs> and so funny, finally he Funny had to, for you. But no, well, I get it. for him. I know. But yeah, I, I, I kind of, as a lawyer, maybe it's a misunderstanding. I think I know Linda, and I had... An okay time with her. I think she was a hearing officer for DMB for a while, Department of Revenue, Motor Vehicle. And could have been, yeah. Yeah, I, I think she did that in the metro area, but um it, it, she came yeah, to your attention. She went to law attention. school at CU. Right. And and I like that yeah. because I went to law school at CU. And her yeah. face looks very familiar to me. And we haven't talked in a long time. But I pay attention to stories about prosecutors, and she became the DA in an election where you had a Democrat. Isn't Custer County part of what judicial district and is a part of the jurisdiction of Linda Stanley? Yeah, so we are part of one of four counties that make up the 11th judicial district. So those include Chafee, Park, and Fremont counties. And the DA that she was running against had been appointed by Governor Polis, uh, Caitlin Turner, because the other two, the DA and the the, uh, deputy DA, had resigned in the face of corruption charges. And were they Republicans? Yes. Because it's pretty Republican district, right? Very. And what percentage uh, voted for uh, Donald Trump? last go-round in uh, the 11th? Uh, it's a, I don't know the numbers off the top, top of my head precisely, but it was 60% at least. Okay, so he's a big favorite. Kind of community yeah. where they keep Trump uh, paraphernalia up year-round? Uh, there's Trump 1 signs on Main Street still oh my in Westcliff. <laughs> oh, no. I was going to visit. But it's it's all over that. Is this Lauren Bobertville? Are you represented by her? We are for now, but we are, as of the election, so or sorry, the swearing in in January, we'll be part of the 7th. 
Um, so she will no longer represent us. Well, that'll be better. Who's running in that? The seventh is that uh, Caraveo? Uh, and, oh, uh, I'm trying to... What's her uh, name? I'm Caraveo is running, and, and Brittany Pedersen is running against... Pedersen, yeah, and Caraveo, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, Pet no, Pedersen is a Dem candidate for, I think, the 8th, and Caraveo maybe for the 7th. I should know this better, and I, and I yeah, will. Yeah, I, I, and we just did a story on it, but I guess I'm a little fried at this point. So. No, 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 <laughs> so no, it, it, it's cool. Yeah. We, we still remember Linda Stanley because... Uh, the point I, I think is interesting, that when a Republican has to step down, just like with a Senate seat, uh, there's a lot of power in the governor. So here I go, name dropping again. But when I was talking <laughs> to Bill Ritter, who was excited about his golf score, up came Michael Bennett, Senator. And John Hickenlooper wasn't far behind. But this conversation was Bennett, Ritter, and me. And it occurred to me that Bell Ritter had appointed Michael Bennett when Bell Ritter was governor, and now Michael Bennett may be the longest-serving senator in Colorado history. And I bring yep. that up because in the AG's race, I don't live in the 11th. I live in the 18th, which is Rappo County, Douglas, Albert, and Lincoln. And it's by far the most populous county with its share of big crime problems, and our Republican DA is running for uh, attorney general. And if he wins, if he beats Phil Weiser, then I would presume Jared Polis is going to be the guy who's going to replace him, presumably with the Democrat. And if Democrats mm -hmm. are so scary on crime, what are you doing, John Kellner, leaving the most <laughs> populous jurisdiction to the whims of a damn Democrat as a DA. Anyway, I just yeah. bring that up because governors have a lot of power to make appointments. And uh, Paul is appointed really pretty reasonable and competitive Democrat, but it wasn't enough to overcome yeah. the MAGA advantages out there. How MAGA is Linda so here's, Stanley? Here's an interesting uh, stat, stat on that election, which is three out of the four County sheriffs in the 11th judicial district endorsed Caitlin Turner, the Democrat, over Linda Stanley. And they were all Republicans. And so, what does that mean? That Caitlin was moderate and that these uh, GOP. No, they just, they literally knew that Linda Stanley was a horrible attorney because they had all had prior experiences with her. I see. And, and what was it's, she it's, working? It's is? not political. It's just she can't do the job. But was like she she's a, a nice person? Was she was she a criminal defense attorney? How did they get to know her? Uh, she had done a little bit of work in Pueblo uh, in the past, but in Canyon City, she had always been a bit of just a rabble rouser. So she wasn't in any official capacities most of the time. But people had to deal with her fallout. I guess is what I should say. Okay. So the key question in politics for me, because I'm independent, I'm a hodgepodge of views, as you know, because you listen <laughs> to my podcast. Right. And I'm an unaffiliated, yep. Yes, we both are. But I'm anti-MAGA, and I try to sniff them out. If I was yep. sniffing Linda Stanley in the 11th, is she MAGA? Totally. That's all she runs on. How so? 
Explain. All of her campaign events and pictures of are her holding an AR-15 with a gun on her belt saying, I defend the Second Amendment. What? Doesn't AR-15? really have much to do. For what yep. purpose? Just that she's a magna. You know, to get elected around here, all you got to do is say, I support uh, President Trump, or at this point, former President Trump, but at the time it was President Trump. And here's my gun. Guns. Uh, vote me. Now, there's some serious crime that takes place anywhere in America, but we know of a celebrated case out of Salida, Chafee County, 11th JD. Yep. Barry Morphe. I followed that one very closely. Tell this story from your perspective. So, so he's an interesting one, which is when his wife disappeared in Salida, um, they posted a reward that his family posted. But pretty quickly, people started to suspect things. And then after the election, it turns out that he forged his wife's signature and got caught in Salida. And he said, look, I knew that President Trump uh, was going to lose anyhow, so I didn't think that anybody would care what I did. And he did it for Trump, you know, so he basically forged right, his wife's right. signature. And, and, and he had to plead guilty, and his defense yep. attorney said, oh, you know, that's what she would have wanted. And Barry loves Suzanne, and Suzanne, she may be alive, but if she was killed, it wasn't by Barry. And look at Linda yep. Stanley. She dismissed the case. Barry's innocent. Is that true? Uh No. Uh, but the problem is, is that there's never been a really good case put together against the guy. Um, I don't think it was, Linda was politically motivated, but at the end of the day, she botched the case so badly that she had no other case, choice but to dismiss. She was riding high doing a lot of YouTube shows I had on. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, she uh, was going on podcasts talking about the case. Profiling evil was the one. Yes. And she was talking about stuff despite the fact that um, I think it was Judge Murphy at the time had had placed a gag order on the case. And has there been any fallout from her ineptitude leading to the dismissal of a case? As I recall, she missed so many filing deadlines that the judge said you can't call this witness or that witness. And she she said, could not call 11 out of 13 of her expert witnesses because she hadn't disclosed evidence to the defense a week before the trial. Now, even Trump's lawyers meet their deadlines. You kind of have <laughs> to do that. And if you make a mistake, you say, OK, give me another chance. But how many different times did she botch this? There was at least two judges reprimands in their opinions. Um, two different ones. One was the magistrate, and I can't remember his name off the top of my head, and then Judge Murphy, of course. Hmm. Um, and um, the the defender of Murphy, uh, and I I'm, can't remember her name off the top of my head, but I have interviewed her. Iris Aton. Yeah. Yes. She literally, even though it got dismissed, she literally came out and criticized Stanley for the most inept, botched, um, prosecution she's ever had to deal with in her life. So, well, Linda Stanley... Which is very, very unusual, particularly when you technically got the result you were looking for as the defense attorney. 
What about Suzanne's family? As I recall from Indiana, they were very involved in organizing searches. They are convinced that Barry did it. In fact, <laughs> she wa- he wound up in Broomfield. She di- disappeared on a bike ride Mother's Day. And then yep. he he he's seen disposing of so many things. It's just a bunch of odd behaviors. Yeah, and plus they also had the GPS of his truck um, that showed a lot of uh, the activity. But the problem was is they couldn't bring it to court because Linda missed all the deadlines to disclose it to the defense. It was a legal mismatch, right? Because Iris and her partner, I should know the name, who's... In fact, as Josh Maxmont called her Hurricane Aton, Hurricane Iris. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'll look up the colleague, but but the point I, is, is that Iris, yeah. even though the case got dismissed against her client, she literally came out and said this was horrific behavior on the side of a prosecutor. And Iris has actually been working to try to draft legislation that would hold um, DAs more accountable for when they completely botch things. Mm-hmm. No, she's uh, she's something else. But back to Linda Stanley. What's yeah. the fallout been? Nothing. She's a magnet, and so in this district, it doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter if you let criminals go or you know do things because you can't do the job. As long as you have an AR-15 and a gun on your hip, you're you're fine. So, will anybody challenge her within the Republican Party when she has to <laughs> run again some... in two years? Part of the issue is is that the two Republicans that had switched off between each other, Molly Chilson and um, what's his name, Shane Ledoux, I think was his first name, but don't quote me on that first name. I can't remember if it was Shane, but the last name was definitely Ledoux. You are Um, quoting yourself every time you talk on the podcast. (laughs) Yeah, that's fine. But um, uh, they used to switch off for DA, you know, for every election for quite a few years, but the reason they resigned is they had some serious corruption allegations go towards them and they were the only ones that could really run. Um, so I don't know what's going to happen. I, I've heard that people are going to run against them uh, or against Linda, um, that they're going to move here and become citizens to do it in, I guess it would be two years. And, um, but who knows if that will actually materialize. Now, here's a fun little uh, twist on this whole thing. Caitlin Turner is now a district judge. <laughs> so she will be overseeing uh, Linda Stanley's cases. <laughs> and the 11th JD. Fascinating. Yeah, so that does throw a little bit of a curveball into the situation. Now, Linda Stanley brought in some people to help her. And God love him because I... I'm not going to dish out a lot of love here, but didn't Mark Hurlburt of Kobe Bryant prosecution fame? Wasn't he brought he's in actually, to help? He's actually one of their deputy DAs last time I checked. Right, and he's been involved in some uh, prosecutions that went south, just like yep. the Barry Morphew matter, the Kobe Bryant matter. But yep. he's he's probably worked in prosecution for decades now. Yeah, I don't know if he's still there. Uh He technically still is. But uh, one of the things that Linda Stanley did is that she um, took down the website of the 11th Judicial DA's office. Um, So you can't call her if you want to unless you contact me first because I happen to have their number. Wow, that's unbelievable. 
Yeah, I mean, if you lived in if you lived in my area for a while, it's, what these people would do is not unbelievable at all. It's it's everyday occurrence. Tell everybody how they can follow the Wet Mountain Tribune. Well, you can do it online, wetmountaintribune.com. Uh, and then we also so we post some free things like Linda Stanley or like our federal lawsuit, but also we have our subscriptions. So you can do the e edition, um, which is basically every Thursday's paper, or you can do print. Um, which will be delivered to you. But the print's not super fast if you don't live in Custer County. All right. Iris Hayton's partner, Drew Nielsen. She was a big part of that legal team. Let's give her credit, mm-hmm. too. Those two have quite a reputation, and I was looking forward to a great trial, but just like Kobe Bryant, Jean Benet, yeah. Columbine, really, there, there's never a trial. There's never been... Nope. A great trial, except for the ones I did back before you were born. You Which can, ones were those? Well, I did a death penalty case, Frank Rodriguez, a Denver oh, yeah. jury. This was, uh-huh. you weren't born December of 86 was the verdict. The crime was November 14, 1984. No, but I have read about it. Anyway, and uh, the Capitol Hill rapist, he did his thing in the late 80s in the Capitol Hill and then the murder of Tom Holler was on court TV with Dan Abrams covering it. But enough about me, and thanks for giving me that opportunity. But we did a lot of but big Why trials. do you think that is, though? I mean, why do you think we—so, a, a, a weird tidbit. I was, like, best friends with uh, John Benet's uh, uh, brother, uh, John, in, in elementary school, um, when that all took place in Boulder at Flatirons Elementary. No, her brother is Burke. Maybe you're thinking of it. Yeah, it, well, it's Burke, but we all called him just John uh, there at that time. No, time out. Let's back up. You were friends with Burke? Yep. Okay, let's go slow. Back up. You've got my full attention because I followed JonBenet big time. Yeah. Were you following it big time back yeah. in the day? Well, I was really young. You know, this was elementary school. We're talking like first or second grade or something. We really liked uh, Star Wars. <laughs> so, okay, are you um, the same age as Burke Ramsey, John Burke Ramsey? We're, yeah, we're in the same class. And you were going to that elementary school along Baseline, or where was it? Yeah, so I grew up in Custer County from about 1999. Uh, but I lived up near kind of Gold Hill. They called it Wall Street, Four Mile Canyon. Um, until that point, my grandmother had been a professor at CU Boulder, but we were, you know, in the same class, we were on the same basketball team in elementary. And then when the, you know, when she died, um, just didn't really see much of him again. I ran into him years later, um, at a middle school basketball event up there. Um, but that was about it. But what about his uh, interview on, uh, Dr. Felt, did you watch that? Yeah, yeah. I, but, you know, I hadn't been in contact. You know, we're talking like first or second grade. Uh, but, you know, we had gone over to their house. Um, my sister had played with John Benade Ramsey. She was a very similar age to her. Um, you know, and so it was a really, you know, when that all happened, I didn't know exactly what was going on. I just knew that all of a sudden my friend that I played risk and chess with at school was gone. <laughs> And it wasn't until years later that I really figured out what had, you know, transpired. And what do you think really happened? No idea. You know, we were kids at the time, and 
he was a good friend and that's about all we know. Um, my parents have never, they always thought the family was great. I'm just, I'm not recalling if uh, he was known as John Burke. I, I, I thought that John had another son named John. Well, as I said, I just, we called him John. I, and again, we're going way back here when I was just a kid uh, on that type of stuff. But it was, we just played Risk and loved Star Wars together. And we've been to his house and uh, all of that. Um, and did you, know Fleet, nice. did you know Fleet and Priscilla White and their kids at all? Or no, no, head? not at all. They weren't at Flatirons. I, I don't know why that was the case. Or at least if they were, they weren't in my, anywhere around my class group. Do you remember meeting Jean Benet? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, she played with my sister uh, at a lot of our like little league games and stuff like that. And what about Patsy? Was she around too? No, Jean- I don't really have a recollection. You know, I, I remember going to their house. Uh, I remember having good times. I remember my sister playing with them. My littlest sister was a baby. Um, but it was one of those things that I remember running into them later in life. Um, in middle school and you know he was very quiet and um skinny and then my dad sort of filled me in because i was like seventh or eighth grade right when we were moving down to westcliff on kind of the whole the whole case on that do you remember the address of the ramsey's home no not at all i kind of remember the house a little bit but i have no idea and the only reason i was bringing it up is just why don't you think there are why don't you think a lot of these cases go these trials like what why don't they why don't we get these trials anymore uh, the grand jury said uh indict they returned a true bill but alex hunter would not sign it we have found that out through the great journalism of charlie brennan who stuck with the story he followed that judicial district the way you are following the 11th but i just can't read up on that then holy cow yes and i can tell you that at the height of Sean Benet, when you were a little kid, if if somebody would have said Saturday night, eight o'clock, we're going to announce who killed Sean Benet, I think it would have broke the record for worldwide attention. Everybody was so riveted so. to that, and, yeah. and that's why it's startling to hear you say that you knew Sean Benet. <laughs> yeah. I mean, do yeah. you get that I mean, a lot? I mean, no. No, it was just a small part of my life, um, you know. And then we moved to, you know, middle of nowhere. I, I didn't fully recognize the um, media impact of that entire event until much later in my life. You probably didn't have access to cable TV in West Clip, am I right? <laughs> we did not, <laughs> or internet. <laughs> right. And that's the dawn of the internet with Sean Benet. There started to be forums yep. on the internet, but it wasn't going on in Westcliff. Is it like going back in time if I went to Westcliff? Is that what it's like? <sighs> uh, there's, uh, I, I don't know, back in times. Is there a McDonald's? No, we have no chains. Uh, I take that back. There is a subway in one of the gas stations. Okay. So. Yeah, we're getting. How far? How far is the nearest Walmart? Uh, Canyon City and Salida both are equidistant, so say an hour's drive. Holy cow! You guys are isolated. How far is the closest city market, aka King Supers? Same. Uh, Canyon City and again Salida, so not an hour. So where do you shop? Well, there's one kind of small grocery store here. 
a lot of people um, have money and they're somewhat retirees. And so they'll make a day of it and go to Costco in Carver Springs, which is hour and a half, two hours away. And is there a big tourist industry in West Cliff or not so much? That's that's what we are. I mean, we're, we're tourists in the sense that people... So our biggest export is the views. As I said, I'm not trying to be like egotistical, but there's something the Santa de Cristos raise out of the Valley floor, just like the Tetons do. So there's no foothills. It's not like uh, the mountains up near Denver and stuff. Okay, it's just, so what's know, the uh, view off your porch or your patio? How many views do you have in it? Well, let me just put it this way. I mean, it's, uh, I'm on the Valley floor. I look out and there's 37 peaks over 13,000 feet Ooh. in my eyesight. Ooh. And you're at 7,000. less than 10 miles away, less than 10, less than 10 miles from me. And so so what I'm going to come straight out of the ground, just like the Tetons, just right out of the ground. And is it wildlife heaven there or what? Yeah, there's a lot. I mean, elk, deer, you know, we don't have any of the bigger things. We don't, there's a, there's a moose that will occasionally come through here, but that's a rarity, black bears, stuff like that. Um, so we're not like Yellowstone or the Tetons, but we still have our share of that type of wildlife for sure. All right, so back to Linda Stanley. Unless there's more, no, let me go back to Jean Benet. Did you ever watch that CBS special where they more or less suggested that Burke Ramsey bonked her on the head? And then, yeah, did you watch I that? I saw all that. Yeah. And then they covered it up from there. I think the one thing that I can that I could say just from a recall is that the whole beauty pageant part of her life. Um, and the mom sort of being a controlling beauty pageant mom, that was uh, embellished, to say the least. Um, all of our interactions with that family had no indication that she was a over-the-top controlling figure on, on any of the kids. Um, the beauty pageant was something that they liked to do, and they did it together because they got value out of doing that together. Right. No, I, I mean, I, I've heard similar testimonials about Patsy and about John. Hey, I know him. He was a good guy, but there's lots. I don't that... know if they were a good guy or not. I, you know, I was too young. The only thing is I know is it wasn't like a high pressured situation. Uh, we did spend enough time with them, whereas I guess if they were going to slow up a little bit, you know, somebody would get yelled at or something over the top like that. Unless they were completely psychopathic, which you can't always write off, but. In retrospect, there is a red flag there, though, and he's proved it by his politics and appearances on yeah. Fox News, even by hiring Lynn Wood. I mean, Lynn Wood represented your buddy Burke <laughs> and probably yeah. got him millions of, of dollars. And then yeah. Lynn Wood, who called and threatened me, Silverman, if you say another bad word against my clients, I'm going <laughs> to own your first child. Which you know, really yeah, he did, he did, and and uh, I had to tell my wife of, about that. And anger. I thought he was impressive, but now the guy's lost his mind, mega mega. I mean, if yeah. and I don't know what happened to him, although I have my suspicions because I've read up about the man. But you were making a point about, hey, he's a conspiracy theory guy, and you were going to make a point about what it means to be into conspiracy theories 
Yeah. Okay. And, and this gets back to Linda Stanley and just all of the magna phenomenon. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a wonderful philosopher named John Gray um, in England, and not the John Gray that wrote the men are from Mars and women are from Venus. <laughs> That's a very unfortunate name. How do you spell Gray? Uh, G-R-A-Y. G-R-A-Y. Okay. Yeah. yeah, if you type in John Gray philosopher, he tends to pop up. I see. Um, and what's his yeah. philosophy? Uh, well, I guess you'd call him an anti-enlightenment an enlightenment um, philosophy. Um, but it, he's not that type of philosopher. I can't really sum it up in that way. The point I was trying to make is uh, he wrote a book called uh, Apocalyptic Religions back in the early 2000s. And he made a really good point that I've seen, and this is Magna right here, which is generally conservatives, particularly since the French Revolution, because the French Revolution is where we get our left and right, um, you know, left of the king, right of the king. And after the French Revolution, you basically had a overly ambitious um, liberal movement in the Jacobins. The problem with progress moving too fast is a lot of people get their heads cut off. And conservatives ever since then have always stood, particularly in the United States, saying we're not against freedom or liberty, um, but we're going to move slowly. And so it gets into sort of a what's known as a Burkean conservative, uh, conservative movement, which is we believe in progress, we believe in liberty, but we're not going to start a revolution to um, achieve those aims. And conservatives in Custer County were always very, uh, we hold to tradition, we hold to law and order, we hold to fiscal conservatism. Those are the traditional um, kind of conservative talking right. points for we, a long We'd time. like to preserve what we have, our wealth, our dominance, our patriarchy, oh. our everything. In fact, yeah, and, and MAGA... Sometimes it can be negative. Yeah, I mean, yes. sometimes it can be negative in the sense right. of patriarchy or stuff like that. I know. I sound a little woke there. Right. But MAGA wants to dial it back. That's what they said, make America great again, like it was in the 50s. But this is the problem. Ma- MAGA is not any of those things. What they are... See, so you're, put, you're putting an N in there, and it kind of sounds yeah. like geothermal. Yeah. But okay, yeah. and Magna <laughs> is Magna for you. Go ahead. Yeah, so Mag, 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 yeah, exactly. I keep putting Magna, like, uh, yeah, yeah. You're putting magma, a magnifying but... glass on Magna. It's a Magna. But it's, but it's one of those things that at the end of the day, um, conservatism stood against, particularly over the last century, against. Um, Utopianism. Uh, utopianism was generally found on the left. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're talking about the Bolsheviks, Stalin. Right. Um, yeah. the, state, so on and so the forth. state will wither away. Nice yeah. fantasy. So conservatives always stood as a bulwark to that. But right. something changed when the Berlin Wall fell. And all of a sudden it said, our system, the American capitalist one, won. And so it needs to spread across the earth. And 9-11, I saw a huge change in Custer County, which is people that weren't necessarily overly patriotic because they were sort of, you know, against the federal government or skeptical. All of a sudden, you know, 
every class had to do the Pledge of Allegiance every single class period. So like eight times a day and they'd sing the national anthem and they'd sing that Alan Jackson song, like remember when the towers fell. And that's where you got this whole, we're going to spread democracy across the world. And right around 9-11, conservatism got bit with the utopian bug, which is, it's, you know, uh, that's not normal. That's sort of, the opposite of what conservatism is supposed to be. Now, did John, Gray, us, did John Gray write about this in Apocalyptic Religions, or was had, that before nine eleven or afterwards? No, he wrote he wrote it right around. I mean, I think he was writing it when nine eleven happened, but I think it got published in like two thousand and three. And he just has one chapter on this particular American utopianism biting. Um, and uh, I'm giving my own interpretation of it as as we're talking. But when you got to Trump, that's when stuff really got out of control. And so now what we have is um, make America great again type of people. They have this belief, which is if everybody is armed at the teeth, if we get rid of the deep state, if we purge the world of all leftists, uh, we'll enter uh, an Randian uh, utopia. And you know what I hear when they say leftist? It's the people who know what the word Meshuggana means. And now you are yeah. one of them. I yeah, exactly. It you. You but can that's, start anybody with, that's a, yes. But it's, it, it's no longer enough to say we're going to convince people of our side. Now, it's, now it is, I mean, these people want a civil war because they need an opportunity to purge the world of leftists. But that's, that's what the Bolsheviks did. They needed to purge anybody that stood against the proletariat, including, it turns out, the proletariat, um, farmers, workers, stuff like that. And, you know, can I bring um, up that I'm reading Bloodlands by what, mm. Timothy Snyder, and I'm watching the way Stalin had these uh, bullshit trials after which the person was immediately executed and yeah. death penalty after death penalty was carried out. And it makes me sick that I was just talking to you in this podcast about getting a death penalty in Denver. Now, he died of hepatitis C uh, almost two decades later with his last appeal pending uh, on death row. But I, I would have let that be carried out because it was more humane, whatever. All the, but I'm thinking maybe that's why the state can never be trusted with a penalty like that because you get... Uh, you get Stalin. You get you get apocalyptic uh, regimes. Keep going. I I think you're being a little unfair to yourself a little bit, but I I I do think you bring up the the more key legal question is maybe the state shouldn't be entrusted with that type of responsibility because it can turn into a real slippery. See you know, now you're slope. talking about like Donald Trump talking about the FBI. Hey, yeah. they say they have the goods on me, but can you really trust them? They're the FBI. No, I, I, I mean, oh my God, the twists and turns yeah. of MAGA. But there's another part that you know you can speak to more than I can, which is I do have a sense of hope. So there's a there's a joke that I always like to tell, which is um, we're better off complaining about attorneys than not having them. Did you, did you hear Trump this last weekend in Pennsylvania blaming a cabal of lawyers, media? Yes. 
He, he put words pay, in there just like Shakespeare, you know, first yeah. thing. I don't pay attention to a lot of national stuff, but I did see that one. And yeah. Again, we're better off. I mean, even my federal lawsuit, I'm not happy that I've had to file it or anything, but I'll tell nice, you right now, nice I'm glad segue. that they're... Nice segue. Well, no, I'm not making a segue in the sense, which is that I have been happy to see that our court system seems to have survived, um, at least so far. The, Maybe uh, you it's are been living in Westcliff. Didn't you hear about yeah. what Judge Cannon did with that special master and making up rules that yeah. don't exist for the benefit of, oh, he's the ex-president, yeah. and now it's going to go to the 11th Circuit where most of the justices, most of the appellate court judges have been appointed by Trump, and then if it's appealed from there to the Trump Supreme Court. So I'm True. scared. But look at, uh, I'm scared too, to an extent, but also look at the, the big lie. Uh, there was plenty of Trump-appointed judges that also said, no, this is unacceptable. True. True. So, you know, you do have to remember that even when you appoint a Trump judge, for the most part, they have been to law school. They have some experience somewhere. And as much as they try to fight the quote-unquote indoctrination and stuff, there's an entire legal system that is built around these things. And you will get bad judges. It can be a lottery. Don't get me wrong. But the thing is, is that as long as it's never equally distributed across the country, it can't go one way. And, and, I've and been let's, happy to, uh, let's talk, can I brag on the second judicial district? It's still my favorite. Yes. That's Denver. That's where Coomer versus mm-hmm. Trump, Giuliani, Sidney Powell, Randy Corcoran, KNUS, yep. uh, Michelle Malkin, who's a viper not living far from you. She's been on my podcast, hung up on me. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm telling you that uh, that lawsuit... You didn't just lose service? <laughs> no, no. I, I pissed her off bringing up her griper anti-Semitic connections. Yeah. Well, she doesn't do like that. Anyway, uh, the, the bottom line is that uh, uh, Linda Stal- Stanley is fully mega, and didn't she yep. get her, her license suspended for another reason before we leave poor Linda? What happened? Yeah, so, so she didn't do any of her continuing education and even failed to send in a plan saying, hey, I didn't do it, but here's my plan. I mean, to get basically axed for not doing your continuing education is pathetic. Um, they will give you any excuse that you want, basically, to get it done. And when you're DA, you get to set your own schedule. And so, you can get an extension if you need it. Yeah, you you get basically extensions, anything you want. But again, she literally, she got a censure from the Bar Association or the Supreme Court for not filing paperwork. And Murphy couldn't file paperwork. Her own continuing education couldn't file the paperwork. She even has assistance. Well, it's <laughs> easy for you're a newspaper guy. You, it's easy for you to say because you put out a paper once a week. All right, not everybody's that efficient. Oh God, no! Being a newspaper guy, you'll see me every week say, "Why am I at this point? <laughs> I should have been more prepared." What's but your you still big, get the product out. What's your big story this week? Uh, what was the big story? Well, basically, there's a um, there has been a recall against one of the county commissioners. It was successful by 22 signatures last week to get it on the ballot. 
but a lot of people have come forward and said we were you know we were lied to and we were coerced into signing the uh, the recall position what uh, was the petition. lie they claimed that the county commissioner was a pedophile and had been abusing no. physically and sexually students for decades oh. and had then been fired from the school district for his be- behavior um none of those things turn out to be true. All right, tell fired. us about your county commission. I bet that's doozy in Custer County. No offense. Yeah, no, it's uh, there's three members uh, down here for county commissioners. They're all Republicans. Um, but yeah, one well, them, When was the last time you've been there, except for when you were hanging out with Bonet and her brother, Burke? <laughs> I mean, yeah. you, you, your family's been there forever. Has there ever been a Democrat county commissioner? Yes. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, actually, um, uh, clerk and recorder, Democrats. You have to remember, um, rural America, but particularly rural Colorado, didn't really become full, what we would call red, until Reagan. Um, A lot of them were Democrats. A lot of rural America was blue uh, pre-1980s. And that's because of the policies that the Democrats set for agricultural subsidies and things like that. So um, Reagan was the one that was able to get those agricultural subsidies and stuff under the Republican Party while still claiming to be against government subsidies. It's always a real trick when you can pull that one off. Um, But no, I mean, our last clerk and recorder before this one was a registered Democrat and everybody loved her. You know, locally, most people don't care that much day to day about left versus right. You know, I don't go to the gas station and say, hey, are you, uh, are you Democrat or Republican? You know, I'm just like, hey, can I get some gas and can you fix my flat tire? Now, you've hurt my feelings a little bit because I'm not that <laughs> up to speed on the politics of rural Colorado, especially Westcliff, where I've never Why been would you? there. But you, you, you so focus let, the me, city, let, so. me, let me quiz you. <laughs> when was the last time Denver had a Republican representing them in Congress? No idea. Not a clue. It was right before Pat Schroeder. I think his name was Mike McKevin. I got to make sure of that. But he was a Republican. Well, that was in the late 60s, early 70s. I figured figured it had been longer since a Republican had been in that time time period. (laughs) Right. So there were parts of Denver that were kind of... uh, But don't get me wrong. I mean, after Reagan, it went county commissioners. The elections, the primary election is everything because anybody that runs is Republican or not. Right. So that's why I'm wondering, Democrat right now... The Democrats don't... They don't don't put up... uh, We have an unaffiliated running right now. Um, She's got a good chance in some ways, but only because Bill Kanda the sort of ultra um, Trumper. Um, a lot of Republicans are pissed at kind of his behavior. So Interesting. So do you think that, uh, uh, so, so tell us about the, the county commission there. You've, you've got a lawsuit yeah. going and it stems from a controversy with that? Yeah. Um, so we did a story during the middle of the pandemic um, the former public health director quit in July 2020. So they hired another public health director in August of 2020. 
And he operated for a month or two, but somewhere around October, I happened to look at his LinkedIn profile because he was saying some things that seemed odd to me. And uh, he had a degree from a Dartley University, and I'd never heard of Dartley. So I did some Google searches and stuff and took a little bit, but ultimately Dartley University is a diploma mill. So he went to these guys, said, give me a degree that looks legitimate, and I'll pay you a couple grand. And um, so he had a fake master's in public health during the middle of a pandemic when he took over now, the public health Now, did he department. say that to them, or did the institution, was it a Trump University-like place where they <laughs> made a regular <laughs> habit of doing that? No, this, this thing, it, it never existed, even semi-officially. And I you mean, are you are, who broke the story? Was it you or your? Uh, oh, we drew, no, we did it. And are you saying Alyssa and you? No, we we broke the the whole story. I mean, I mean, we did all the research. We we worked with them. But when you say month, we, you know, is weeks. it the Wet Mountain Tribune? Do you want to share yeah, Tribune, credit? Yeah. Or was it all yeah. you, really? No, it was the whole team. I mean, um, I was the one that really pushed ahead, but. Um, you really can't do it without your editors, other reporters, um, billing. You know, the last two years have been some of the most stressful in my life. And it's only, I don't write that much anymore, but the stuff that we do write on is, it's sometimes taken years of research and work to do. Like even this federal lawsuit, this has been years in the making. All right, so you expose this guy has a degree from a phony place and the county yeah. commissioners say, we don't believe it, or we don't like you, you're the media. They just said, essentially, the main guy, Bill Kanda, it was his buddy. And he said, I talked to him, and he said, it's all good. Well, there you go. Yeah. And so that's, ultimately, at the end of the day, we've been critical about some of their things, but that was the main one. Um, it was a year-long investigation, and uh, we were able to get our hands on, eventually, through the Colorado Ethics Commission, even though they dismissed our case for lack of jurisdiction during the discovery process, we got the transcripts and we got records of the diploma and we've tried to, you know, it's fake. And so what do people in the community think? Are you influencing most public people, opinion? Most people think it's fake, but most people aren't going to stick their head up and say anything. And is this um, controversy around the medical director COVID related and all of that? Oh, absolutely. He was a complete, um, uh, how do I say, COVID denier? You know, he was giving phony advice. And Joe phony Oldman testimony. type, Randy Corcoran yeah. type. Have you, you ever know, heard of tried these to bring, They tried to bring Joel Oldman down here for the Lincoln Day um, lunch uh, a couple of weeks ago, but Joel never, Joe, Joe never showed, uh, and Tina Peters, but but none of them, neither one of them showed to the event. So, were you waiting for them? Oh, yeah, I was right there getting flipped off. <laughs> Are you persona non grata? Uh, in certain circles, but we still have the majority subscription base here. Um, is the there, that is there a competition? Us, yeah, the, it's a, so we lost the legal bids, and that gets back to our federal lawsuit, to a newspaper called the Santa de Cristo Sentinel. And they're a weekly newspaper that operates here, but they How are long have they just, been in existence? Nine years. They started with the Tea Party movement. Mm -hmm. And they're complete, you know, MAGA guys, period. Um, that's all they care about. And um, 
I'm not really in competition with them for the most part because we we don't write anything that doesn't have a local hook. They mostly reprint stuff off of Zero Hedge or Three um, Percenter website stuff like that, um, which is fine. We got conservative base here, so they sell their papers to them. But occasionally they dip their toe into local politics and the legal bids, and that's where we come into conflict. And now. The county commissioners retaliating against you guys have pulled the ads and caused you revenue? Yeah, so what they did is when you're a weekly publication, there's a thing called the legal notices paper of record um, designation. So Colorado state law says that a county has to designate a paper of record. So that's where all of your county you know, notices, law changes, it used to be agendas, but that got booted a few years ago. But, you know, that type of stuff um, has to get published for public record. And, you know, we, we're a newspaper, but we also act as sort of a, a scribe historian for events going on in Custer County. Our paper goes back 139 years. So I can pull legal notices and mining claims and election notices from that entire time period. Sweet. And That's good to know in my law practice in case I ever need that. Well, there's a great um, website that you absolutely need to put to the top of your list, which is the Colorado Historic Newspapers. And what it is, is that it's a, uh, they have been digitizing all of these old newspapers across the entire state, every county, and they're searchable. So the Tribune's got about 35 years from like 1898 to... 1926 on there, but the Denver Post, all those things. And you, you, if you have a term or a name or something you want to search, you can search it. You can search it by county, by newspaper, by state. And do they have the Rocky Mountain News searchable. in there? Is the Rocky in there? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I don't know how current it goes for some of those. Some of them are very current, like up to 20 years ago. And it says, I think I've been visited those sites in a while. Are you saying that Maybe artificial intelligence has helped the process. I don't know. Uh, so, Some cameras? Yeah, How no, are they it's, doing? It's, it's, so the Colorado and most states have this, which is that um, the Colorado um, Historical Trust, in this case, it's the Denver Public Library hosts it. I mean, they they get all of our newspapers every week. Um, they've no, been but they, for, they put it on microfiche. I've been down there doing that they, before. No, yeah, and they put it on microfilm. But the thing is, is that this organization takes that microfilm and digitizes nice. it. Nice. Yeah, it's super awesome. I mean, playing around on that website is... Do you know what that means? I was means? a history major Do you in know college. What that it's means? amazing. Jordan, this big, you know why? Why? I can throw out many boxes in my basement. Yes, you can throw away so many. You just toss them. Maybe there's collector's value. Anyway. Yeah. But no, it's, um, you know, so. So how much did this move, this retaliatory move cost you? Well, not very much at the beginning because we were, we always try to be the low bid. So what happened was, is we put in our bids. You have to do sealed bids that you send in. And our bid came in at half the price of the Sentinels. And they have half the circulation as us. Now, when you say a sealed bid, is that through the U.S. mail or through? Uh, uh, I I dropped it off by hand. I mean, I guess you could put it in right, the Right, but it's but, not on the Internet. 
It's there. Yeah, They're it's not sealed. supposed to open it till a precise time. Yeah, and I sealed it, you know, and stamped it and stuff so that I could notice if it was, you know, open beforehand. Um, well, you know and, what's a uh, darn shame is that the Sangre de Cristo Sentinel isn't run by Linda Stanley because she probably would have missed the deadline and forgot uh, yeah, to seal you're actually, it too. To be honest, they have missed deadlines in the past, yeah. and so I bid against nobody. <laughs> but this time they met the deadline. And, and, and here's, a, here's a fun little fact is that the Santa de Cristo Sentinel is the biggest, uh, the owner, George Gramlitz, the biggest donor to Linda Stanley's campaign. How much? Uh, it's not a lot, $2,000 or something, mm-hmm. plus free advertising. But still, that's all it takes around here. You don't have to spend a lot of money to get elected as DA. Wow. I just, just can't uh, get over gun. her. Yeah, NAR 15. You'd think she could listen to CLEs driving that big county, and all you have to do is submit an affidavit, which reminds yeah. me I have to do that tomorrow. Anyway. <laughs> but anyhow, back to financial losses. Right now, it's not a lot because we are the low bid. So this year, who knows, uh, 1000 2000 a month maybe I miss out on. Um, but the problem is, is that there's a halo effect around being the paper of record. So when a law firm needs to publish something, they reach out to the county and they say, what's the paper of record? And they say, well, it's this publication. And so then they come to me and I'll charge them, you know, whatever our classified rates are per column inch. But it's about 10 times as much as what I charge the county. Now, do these so rules those, only apply to print publications? Yep, it's all print because of the way the card of statutes and stuff work. Fascinating. Yeah, and so the, this legal publication, this paper record designation, comes with a halo effect, which is we've got good relations with our attorney firms and stuff like that. They'll keep using us because they know we reach more people. But over time, we will, you know, New Sounds like come you're in. using a buzzword. Maybe you learned it from Steve Zansberg. Ever heard of him? A good attorney knows <laughs> these issues. Yeah, that's he's why we been a guest <laughs> in Craig's Lawyers Lounge. Do tell, what's he doing for you? So we hired him as our our. So we had a wonderful attorney here called, um, and he's still like our personal attorney and uh, business attorney, um, Wade Gately, who had been a county attorney out in. Eastern Colorado for when a long time. you said he's called Wade Gately, you know who talks like that? When I can stomach hmm. him, I've heard him. No offense, Tucker Carlson. I've never actually seen a uh, single Tucker a, Carlson he'll thing. He'll say, and then there's a doctor called Tony Fauci. Anyway, <laughs> anyway it's I've an never, odd, I've literally, it's I know who they are, I've never phrase, actually right. listened to them ever. I've never once listened to any of their right. stuff. But yeah, Wade Gately has been a good friend and really got us to a good point. But he said, look, you need to go to federal court for this. um, And I don't have the resources to do it. So we shopped around a little bit and um, he had actually worked against um, Mr. Zansberg once before um, when he was a county attorney. But he said he thought he was very good, um, reasonable. Mm-hmm. and aggressive so he said go for it and steve was just happy to see that we had already gotten to the point that we'd gotten to we'd already filed our notices and given them opportunities we even offered mediation that we would pay for uh, and they rejected that as well 
Oh, boy. Um, pre-trial and then you mediation. get to file in Denver, U.S. District Court. It must feel good yeah. to leave Custer County when you have a case like that. Well, we needed somebody, though, that has the experience that it was going to be aggressive, right? Uh, you know, and I don't mean aggressive in recklessly, but somebody that understands our case, understands these First Amendment laws, is going to, and it's going to push hard. Uh, we'd love to settle, but at the same time, we're willing to go all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court if we have to again. Oh. Um, the case law, the U.S. I mean, the case law is really in our favor because the Tenth Circuit has already decided this exact issue back in 1999. Now, who's going to finance this? Are you a trust fund baby? Or are you making it big? <laughs> Farming, ranching, the Wet I, Mountain. I, it's so funny you say that because I get I, I get accused by the Sentinel for being a trustafarian from uh, Boulder County because that's where I was born. <laughs> Uh, as I said, when I first moved down here, I literally lived in a unheated off-grid RV with a fireplace that I put in it. Um, we've known this is coming for some time. When we published those stories, we knew there would be retribution because we knew Bill Kanda. Um, so we've been preparing financially for a long time. Holy cow, what an interesting guy you are. I appreciate it. And thanks for listening to the podcast. It's, uh, we try to cover all aspects of Colorado. No, and I like it, but you know, it's nice talking to a legal mind because, again, I, I'm I I don't think I'll ever become an attorney, but I've always been interested in in law and stuff. Um, I don't know if the world gives enough credit to the fact that through attorneys and through these trials and through these court cases, in a lot of ways, we as a country are defining what our moral values are kind of court case to court case. Well, it's, a, you, yeah. it's, a dis, it's a discovery process. People think of the law as just do this and get fined X, you know, do Y, get fined X. That's not really how it works. Is is court cases um, and legal battles um, are a reflection of our society's values at that time in, in a lot of ways. I've never been to Custer County. If I come, what will you? Where will you take me? Is there a decent restaurant in town? No, there's not. But uh-huh. there is our ranch, and we do raise excellent grass-fed beef. And I ran Ooh. a farm-to-table restaurant briefly, and so you're going to have uh, me over you, if I drive. Oh, absolutely! <laughs> it's always a standing offer here. Oh, that sounds so cool! And I bet it's a nice know, time where I bet the trees turn. Is it gorgeous? About September, uh, late September, I mean. So it's a little warmer this year, so I'm not seeing the changes yet. But my guess is right around October 1st this year is going to be the golden hour. I'm a little worried about justice in Custer County because, honestly, I was prosecuted for 16 years, and poor prosecution can literally let people get away with murder. Are you worried about that? Are you seeing that happening in your neck of the woods? I'm absolutely I'm absolutely worried about it. And that's why, you know, we've hired some of our reporters and they're starting to cover court cases, um, serious ones, kind of for the first time. In the past, I could trust that the process was working or I could talk to the sheriff and say, what are your thoughts or the DA? Um, But now we're sending reporters to these more serious, you know, rape allegations, sex, you know, sexual trafficking, um, child trafficking, Part of it's just because those things are happening, but the main reason is to keep an eye on Linda Stanley and see if these things are being prosecuted properly. 
So I'm very worried. And and, And, and that's why we're shifting our focus mostly because I'm worried. Well, it's good that you have those resources. How many people on your team? Well, let's see. There's eight total. Uh, There's the two full-time, which is Alyssa and I. But we're officers, so I guess that doesn't count. But we're we're the full-time backbone from layout, um, picking up the phone and doing a new subscription, stuff like that. And then we've got, let's see, one, two, three, four reporters um, and one distribution guy. It never ends. Yeah, but you know what's yeah. cool is to have a great story. You've let me put one in the bank, and and I just love that about talking yeah. to you. What an interesting life. And if MAGA is going to uh, be persuaded, I mean, what would it take to persuade people that, hey, you've been led astray. Let's get back to uh, America the way it was uh, before all this bifurcation. You don't. Um, what you do is that you highlight the lies, the inconsistencies, the outright fabrications of those individuals, because you'll never convince those hardliners to change their mind. But a lot of people read quietly on Facebook in our own newspapers. You know, it's hard for me to to remind myself every week. It's very stressful because every week you'll write something and Sometimes it's mundane, uh, though it still hurts, which is you'll get somebody that's like an 87-year-old mother, and she's like, you spelled my son's name wrong. <laughs> you know, she'll come in there and beat you over the head about it. Mm-hmm. But you'll also get the people saying, you're literally nothing but a liberal communist. Um, your business should be shut down. You're a disgrace to America. You're a traitor to your country. It has nothing to do with what we do uh, as a newspaper. I'm surprised they don't say you're a pedophile. That's the well, way. Or they've, are they? they've tried. They've tried their versions of it, but no, they haven't gotten that far yet. They get it mostly from the communist. Top. Yeah, Co- communist is the main one. Um, even though most of them took PPP loans, uh, get government subsidies for their agricultural businesses. You know, one of our policies is we don't take any of that type of money. Um, we don't need it, and we're also not going to take it. It's just not the right thing to do. But it gets down to, you have to remember, though, you'll always have one, two, some, on a bad week, you'll have 10 of them in your face about it. But we've got 2,200 subscriptions. You've got about two to three people that read each one of those per week. So you got 6,000 readers a week. But they're not, they're, they're quiet. They just read but your what piece do you mean and move in on your with their face? life. I, I hope they're not literally coming up to you face to face, or are they? No, sometimes they do. Um, they, you know, I don't like going out to eat sometimes. <laughs> so, well, not that we have good restaurants, but even going to the I, bar. I, I worry about you. Do you oh, want- I'm laughing out of uh, um, uncomfortableness, which is uh, I've always had guns, but I went out and uh, bought a handgun when I started reporting on COVID. Yeah, ain't that a damn shame? And that really accelerated things. And all something- I'm doing is trying to report on a, a virus that uh, had the potential to be dangerous and People were threatening us. Right. Yeah, it's amazing the group think. It's amazing how some people exploited that issue. Just yeah. shameful. You're in the eye of the storm. I really appreciate getting to know you. What a gift it is to have you on well, my same. podcast. Yeah, no, it's uh, same goes to you because it, it's, again, I like your podcast because, um, again, I, I think having a legal mind towards this, some people would say it's boring, but again, 
um, hey, our hey, legal institutions. Hey. No, I don't mean it badly. I mean it, it's our legal institutions are the foundation of what we call liberty and justice, and um, they're crazy important. And every case, every discussion, it doesn't seem like a big deal sometimes. But it is. It, it, it is a direct reflection on our beliefs right. and our and if our you work values. for Right. And work for Pete Michelson. And again, you worked while he was a judge? Were you in his courtroom? He was a, he was the county judge at the time, but then right. but, he but shut that's down his what practice I mean. here. Right. But, but yeah. just being in a courtroom and watching justice dispensed in a, an even-handed way and a democratic and there are rules yeah. and our rule of law is really threatened right now, and that's got me up Absolutely. in arms. But, but I know by I, con- I, when I'm I happy can- how yeah. resilient it is, but I agree with you 100%, which is the resilience only lasts as long as there's stubborn people willing to defend our rule of law. And speak out. You know what I'm worried exactly. about now? Somebody's going to pull the legal notices from my— No, I'm the lawyer here, <laughs> and my legal notices will continue— Unabated. Yeah. <laughs> Jordan Hedberg, it's great pleasure talking to you, okay? Let's stay no, in touch. Anytime. All right. No, please do. Yep. All right. Give my best to Alyssa. And uh, for everybody doing this, right after you put your uh, publication to bed, congratulations. That's hard work. And I think I got you on a publication high. Way to go. Yeah, right. You did, actually. You got me with a couple of uh, post-publication beers in me. So Perfect. Excellent. All right. Take care, Jordan. Talk nice to you later. talking to you. Bye-bye. You too. Bye. Michael Bailey, a friend, a lawyer, a sponsor. Tell everybody how you bring peace of mind to their life. So by setting up your estate plan, you know what's going to happen to your stuff when you die. You know where it's going to go, you know who's going to get it. We've got everything in place so we're not running to a court to try to get guardianship and conservatorship as quickly as possible. But then it's an orderly proceeding of things. So, you know, there's already enough chaos with the medical emergency, but the legal part of it and who can make decisions is all outlined, it's all set up. So there's, it's like the the smooth transition of power. That's cool because you can avoid so many problems by having a medical power of attorney and discussing it with a smart guy like Michael Bailey because who should have this? It's probably somebody close. Who do you trust most among your children to make that call? These are the hard and good questions that you ask every day, right, Michael? Right. And if you ask them beforehand, when you're not in the middle of a crisis, then when a crisis hits, we're not trying to do crisis management and medical emergency and everything else. We're going, okay, we've got a smooth transition of power here. We've got a smooth who's in charge, and we can have that all flow so that we can focus on the care. There are so many things in life that you can fill out a form and save yourself money, save yourself heartache. Some people die out of nowhere quickly, but more often you get sick, you have medical difficulties, so it all goes together. But your system works, it works beautifully. What is the best way to contact you these days? Best way, uh, you can give me a call. My phone number is 720-394-6887. And again, that's 720-394-6887. Or you can go online to michaelbaileylawllc.com. And there is a an appointment page on my website that you can use. So either way is fine. Thanks, Michael.
why don't you quit rushing me, Troubadour? Hi, Craig. How you doing? Excellent. But now you come over and you say, let's go, or is that me? Who's rushing who today? Well, I just wanted to catch up a little, you know. It's been a little while, and, and you know, we're sitting down. I just wanted to see how you're doing. I don't know if you're going to be a little jealous, but you might see that guitar next to you. Yeah, I've noticed it. Johnny Barber was here, and he's a guitarist like you, and we played one of his songs, along with one of yours, just like every week we play one of yours. When is your new album coming out? Well, I've got uh, the songs are written, and uh, I would say it's it's about half recorded, so it's going to be towards the end of the year. Right, but and there is room for one song by me. There probably is room if it if it passes muster. Tell me I'd what's like, the idea. No, I just would like to write a song and have it published. I've never done that. Would you help me? Uh, sure, I'll help you, but it'll be under you. It'll be your project. It shouldn't be Wait on my project. Wait a second. Project. Do you ever record any songs but your own? I did uh, at one point. Um, I did a little uh, a blues album when I was kind of studying some of the early blues guys and uh, learning their techniques. But uh, no, since then, I really like to just do the songs that I write. Oh, that's a nice way of saying no. It's just like me not giving to any campaigns because, hey, I'm in the media. You never know. But you just want yourself on your album. I understand. Selfish, isn't it? There are all sorts of ways to publish. And what if I have a hit? Then I'll be envious. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? There's a uh, little likelihood of that. But it's you never know. Will you sing it for me on my album? You could do better. No, uh, I can, no I'm not a singer. I, can I, recommend- I think I could write a song, though. But I'll rec- if you if you write a song, go ahead and you know I what know, a man has to know his own limitation. I think you could be a good songwriter, just as as your friend who's walked with you and listened to your fertile brain. Can I say that on the radio? Yes. Well, I think you'd have some good ideas. I usually can identify all the characteristics of a Dave Gunder's song, but this song this week, it's different. Too many drivers. There's no sun, moon. But you picked the most intriguing word, drivers. What drives you? Are you talking about somebody driving a car? What are you talking about in this song? Well, as usual, it's an allegory. I think one could have said too many lovers, actually, in this song, because he's, um, it's, it's a song about infidelity. Ah. Oh. Mm-hmm. But you, could, you can look at it. You mean like ways. a sex drive? No, I wasn't thinking sex drive. It was a driver, you know. You know what a driver is in golf? Yeah. What? It's the wood. What wood? We're talking wood. I know, but what? Which? Which it's the number biggest, wood? chunkiest piece of wood in no, your No, it's in got the least angle because you want to hit it the furthest. It's the number one club. Okay. And how many drivers can you carry? You mean are you in PGA yes. tournament rules? Yes. One. You would think a person would only need one driver, but Phil Mickelson started carrying two, one with a different shape, this and that. The guy is pretty smart, and as it's turned out, that live tour that he's championed, the PGA Tour has had to up the ante to match him, So, but now every, everybody hates him. Including oh, me in a way. Did he? Did he is he one of the uh, is live he... golf guys? Yeah. Okay. And yeah. he's been kicked off the tour. Wow. And he took that Saudi oil money. And then I was thinking about the AFL. You weren't living in Denver 
way back then. But the American Football League, that was American oil money, right? Lamar Hunt out of Kansas City, some other rich oil guys. Jerry Phipps, the Phipps brother, construction here. I'm thinking about football, brother. What about you? Do you feel the football season? You don't feel it like me, but you feel it a little, don't I you? do. Oh, I love watching football, and I watched last night, and it was pretty exciting. Buffalo was tough. Vaughn Miller. Yeah, Vaughn Miller. What's he doing over there? Holy cow. Wearing number 40 was 58 for the Broncos. I had the previous grade 58 on the show this week, Steve Busick. But I'm going to play your song, Too Many Drivers. Phil Mickelson had too many drivers. What are you saying? You're like Bob Dylan sometimes. I can't understand the words. It's rare, but too many drivers driving too many what? What's the line? Oh, too many, too many drivers driving too many on at the wheel. Too many at the wheel. Now you don't say at the wheel. Too many on. No, I think I say at the wheel. No, I don't know what you're saying. When did you do this song? At the wheel. That's what I said. Do you remember anything about this song? Were you in the throes of infidelity? Or what is this about? It's just a song. (laughs) A long time ago. Too many drivers. What a profound word. What else going on with you? Can I, do you see what I have in front of you here? Is that a new Apple computer? Yes. Speaking of drivers, Mm -hmm. I'm making that switch from Microsoft to Mac. How do you like it? It's uh, discombobulating. Mm -hmm. It's a little different. Kind of fun, though, isn't it? It's kind of like when Johnny Barber was sitting there with a guitar while you were gone. Yeah, did he tune this thing? He tried. Let me see. He must have had a tough time playing (laughs) that thing. (laughs) <laughs> All right, my brother, any gigs coming up we should know about? You know, there'll be, um, um, actually, in um, in two weeks, I have been asked to do a, fun, um, be the entertainment for a fundraiser, and it's called Second Win, and it's um, it's an organization that, that um, assists troubled young people. Um, it's all, it's a suicide hotline, it's therapists and this, this and that, but it's, it's all about mental health for younger people. They asked me to do it. And so I am the guy who's going to be playing. It's, it's in uh, Clement Park in two weeks. We can tell you, I'll tell more about that. No, next but, week. That's good. but that, but as far as the gigs go, the Vipers will be here in, in a month and I'll let you know on that. Nothing before that. Nice. All the really swell bands take the end of the summer off, but the fall is heating up. Any Broncos predictions from you, my friend? No, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not the guy to ask, Craig. I, I like the Broncos, and I'm looking forward. They're playing Monday night. Is that right? Yeah. Okay. Well, I'll be there. Not, no, you won't. Not at the stadium. Seattle. I'll be there. Meaning, I'll be in my basement. You'll be watching. That's fantastic. <laughs> Is that my phone? Sorry. That's all right. All right. Here's the beauty of this song: "Too Many Drivers." Now that we know it's about sex, I'll listen more attentively. Thank you, Troubadour. Thanks, Craig. Shabbat Shalom. And Shabbat Shalom to you. Sit down. 
great sponsor of my show, but more than that, he's my lawyer, my end-of-life planning lawyer, and I've got two dogs. What about you? I have two dogs right now as well. And not only do you love your dogs at home with your kids and your wife, but you get involved with dog issues in your law practice. Tell everybody about that. So I will write pet trusts, which is you can earmark 
money to take care of your pets. Um, you know, a lot of people, you know, they've got their dogs and you know, they love their dogs. But then if somebody were to, you know, if, you're, if you were to pass away, you know, who's going to take your dogs? Who would, who would love your dogs as much as you do? I don't know that anybody would love your dogs as much as you do. But like I grew up with dogs. And so if I were to pass away, then my parents or my siblings could take the dogs. So when you set up a pet trust, you can dictate who's going to get those dogs and then who you can leave money to take care of the dogs as well. I like working with you and I think you are ahead of your time. You have 15 different locations. How cool is that? It's, it is nice to be able to go to all the different locations and you know meet people where it's comfortable and more convenient for them. And nobody wants to drive from one part of Metro Denver to the other to meet with a lawyer. You will come to them. Yep, and I'll deal with traffic so you don't have to. Tell us how people can get in touch with you. My direct phone number is 720-394-6887, or they can go to my website, which is mobileestateplanning.com. And again, that's mobileestateplanning.com. And there's even a schedule, you know, there's a book an appointment link on this on the website. All right, Michael Bailey, thank you. Hey, I have some exciting news. I am starting my brand new law firm. It's Attitude, mine. The legal skills, mine. The support staff, incredible. Find us online soon at CraigsColoradoLaw.com. Find me right now on Twitter at CraigsColorado. Craig Silverman, a voice for victims. Ooh-wee, if I get a little time, especially as the leaves are turning, I'm going to Westcliff, Colorado. Thanks also to our troubadour with Too Many Drivers, that's a great song. Provocative with the sex drive stuff. My goodness, DB Music, you are a gem. Good luck to your four-year-old little boy. See you soon. I hope you'll be listening next week. Every Saturday, I try to bring you my best. And this was a doozy. Thanks for listening. Tell a friend, five stars, subscribe. You know what to do. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Tune in live every Saturday morning, 9 to noon, Mountain Time. Visit thecraigsilvermanshow.com for the podcast, blog, and more. Be sure to subscribe on all major podcasting platforms to be updated when new episodes are available. This has been The Craig Silverman Show.